God is good. And all the time. Praise his name. Amen. Children, you are dismissed to your class. And adults, you get the joy of listening to Pastor Roy again. Because he's here again, you know. (laughs) Yes, it's true. I'm here again. If any of you want to go with the kids, if that's your preference, feel free to do that. That's cool. I'm, I'm good with that. My wife would tell you that if Jesus came here on Sunday morning, he would be with the kids. So uh, it's not a bad place to be. But you're, you're glad to be here, right? Anybody would rather be in the finest hospital in L.A. County? Yeah, I, I didn't think so either. Well, it's good to be here again and uh, come and open God's word and share some truth with you this morning. Um, I think it's simple and it's true that no one ever sets out in life to be a failure, right? Would you agree with that? You know, we, we never set out to fail. We always want to succeed. And I remember as a young boy when I was playing Little League, um, because I was big for my age, the coach decided that I needed to be a catcher. And so they wanted me to learn how to catch, put me behind the plate. They put, you, know, you know what they call the catcher's gear that he wears, the mask, the chest protector, the shin guards? Do you know what the correct term for all of that equipment is? The tools of ignorance. Honest, that's what they're called, because you've got to be really ignorant to choose to be a catcher. I love catching, but I wanted to be a good catcher. I didn't want to be a bad catcher. I wanted to be successful, and I was just learning, and it was hard. The guy's throwing baseballs at me, right? And my dad said, well, you know, our mailman, Red Mears, is a semi-professional softball player, and he's a catcher. Why don't you talk to Red and get some tips? And so I still remember walking around Red's mail route, our mailman. I walked around the mail route with him with my catcher's glove in my hand. And I talked to Red about being a good catcher. I wanted to be successful. And I remember as I grew older, uh, when I was in junior high, I fell in love with basketball. Had never played basketball much before seventh grade. But I fell in love with basketball. And my hero, here you go, Joey, back into before the 80s, into the 60s. You know, my hero was Jerry West, guard for the Los Angeles Lakers. And I still admire Jerry West. But I would watch him play on television, and I wanted to be like Jerry, right? I wanted to be successful. And as I got a little older and aspired to being a pastor and learning to preach, I had models that I admired. Uh, Howard Hendricks was a professor at Dallas Seminary, and I loved to hear him speak. Just an amazing man of God. And I just would marvel at his, his preaching. And I grew up in my high school years, my senior year of high school, Dave Hawking became our pastor at the church in Long Beach. And he became my model. And I admired his teaching style, and I wanted to be like Dave Hawking. And, and Chuck Swindoll told the greatest stories, Right? And, I, and so those men became my models, wanting to be successful. No one starts off in life to be a failure. We all want to succeed. You all want to succeed, right? Wouldn't you like to know that as you set out, you set forward the course of your life, whatever it is that you attempted to do, that you would have God's hand of blessing upon your life? Wouldn't that be a good thing? Wouldn't that be a good thing? Yeah. 
And so this morning, I want to point you to one of my favorite Old Testament characters, one of my models, that models for me what it means to have God's hand of blessing on your life. And what I want you to discover with me this morning is how, how do you become a person that God blesses? Because it's my contention this morning that God wants to bless you uh, more than you want to be blessed. Um, does anyone believe that besides me? I didn't want to go there. Okay. God wants to bless you more than you want to be blessed. We don't want to be failures. I picked up a book some time ago called The Book of Failures. And it's got some great stories about people that, that failed. Uh, one of my favorite stories was uh, the story of the fireman strike in England in 1978. All the firefighters in the whole country of England went on strike. And so the England, the parliament, the people in charge, they called in the army to serve as firefighters. And so the army came and manned the fire stations, drove the fire trucks and so on. And this particular occasion, this elderly woman called because her cat was trapped up in the top of a tree. And she couldn't get it to come down. So, of course, what did she do? She called the fire department. And so the, the army guys, the new firefighters, jumped in their fire truck and came to her home. And the cat's up in the tree and they put up their ladder and actually very cleverly were able to get the cat and bring it down. And, and the woman was so overjoyed that they had come to rescue her cat that she invited them all in for tea. I guess that's what you do in England. Anyway, they had tea with the woman and they, they left, jumped in the fire truck and took off to go back to the fire station, running over the cat. And killing it. Sad story. And that's why that story wound up in the book of failures. My other favorite story was from World War II. The Russians, I'm sorry both of these stories talk about animals because I love animals, but that's another story. So the Russians were trying to devise uh, strategies to defeat the Germans, right? And so someone came up with this idea that they called dog mines. And so the theory was, if we could strap landmines, you know, normally landmines are in the ground, that's why they're called landmines, but if we could take landmines and strap them to the back of dogs and then train the dogs to run underneath the enemy tanks, the mine would blow up the tank. And so what they did is they put food under their tanks and then trained the dogs to go find food under the tanks. And this worked out really, really well. So the first time they put the dogs into motion in an actual battle scenario, they put the mines on the back of the dogs. They turned the dogs loose. And the dogs, now you can imagine it would be really difficult to get life insurance for any of those dogs, right? Probably. Anyway, they turned all these dogs loose in the first battle. And all of the dogs ran out. But because they had been trained to run under... Russian tanks, because that's all the Russians had to train them with, and not run under the German panzer tanks. Guess where all the dogs all ran? Under the Russian tanks, forcing the whole Russian division into retreat. Failure. Big time failure. So I want you to come with me this morning to a story of success. A story of God's hand of blessing. I love Ezra. Uh, I just, I, I, I can hardly wait to get to heaven to talk to Ezra because I, I have in the back of my mind 
This idea that the, one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 119, 176 verses that all talk about the glory of God's holy written scriptures. And I have in my mind that Ezra wrote that psalm. I don't know that, but I'm going to find out when I get to heaven. But I love Ezra. And so I want you to come with me to the book of Ezra. And I want you to jump in with me at chapter 7. And the first four words of my text in Ezra 7.1 are these words. Now, after these things. Your translation probably says something similar to that. Now, when you read the phrase, after these things, is there a question that just naturally, logically jumps into your little peanut brain? What things? Very good. So, the way to answer that question, what things, is what? To read the six chapters before chapter 7, verse 1, right? That makes sense? Are you all tracking with me here? So... You need to back up and remember the context in which Ezra wrote, because it's very important to this text. You're all familiar with the fact, I assume, Bible history, that the nation of Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar, very good, you guys are tracking, the the kingdom of Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar came against Jerusalem, attacked, destroyed the city, destroyed the temple, hauled away all the temple goods, all the the vessels and everything that they used in worship and the sacrificial system. Um, Hundreds, thousands of people were killed. They took away captives to Babylon. And among those captives would have been important people whose names you remember, and they would include Daniel and... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Okay, you guys are good with your history. And so the prophet Jeremiah prophesied that when Babylon came and took them into captivity, they were going to be in Babylon for 70 years. Well, now the 70 years has gone by, and God raises up King Cyrus in the Babylonian Empire. And King Cyrus has it in his heart to encourage, not only to encourage the people of Israel, the people of Judah to go home, it's also in his heart for them to do what? Rebuild the temple. Now that alone is amazing that this pagan, ungodly king has it in his heart to do that. And so as you read through the first six chapters of Ezra, you have the first wave of people. They go back, and that was where the map is that I had up here a minute ago. So you have that first wave of people who are over here in Babylon. And the first wave of people go back to Jerusalem under a guy by the name of Zerubbabel. And their main task and purpose for going back is to rebuild the temple. And so they begin that process, begin building the temple, and they get opposition. Um, they, long story short, they're told to stop. They can't continue building the temple. And now years are going by. King Cyrus dies. King Artaxerxes comes on the scene. And finally King, finally King Darius. And now it's time for the second wave of people. And I forgot to show you where Jerusalem is because you guys in the back can't see this, right? There we go. And so this line of arc is probably the line of travel. Why? When you're in the desert, what's your most important commodity? Where's the water? Along the river. So they come up here along the Euphrates River and then across. And so the first wave of people under Zerubbabel build the temple. 
And now it's time for the second wave of people under Ezra. There's going to be a third wave of people under a man by the name of... By the name of... He's going to build the walls and his name is Nehemiah. There you go. But Ezra's in the middle. Build the temple, build the walls. What else needs to be built? People. People. So Ezra's task is to come back and build people. Spiritual life, spiritual health, spiritual vitality. We've got a temple, we need to worship, and we need to be spiritually together and, and move forward. And so as Ezra comes on the scene, it says, Now, after all these things, all these years have gone by, Ezra comes on the scene. Now, you could read along with me here after these things. We could all read aloud after these things in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia. There went up Ezra, son of, and if you want to just read along with me, join in. Sariah, the son of Azariah, son of, I was joking. You don't need to do that. Uh, son of Hilkiah, son, all, these, all these sons of. Um, son of Abishu, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylon And he was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all he requested. Why? Why did the king grant everything that Ezra needed for this return trip? Notice what it says. He granted him everything he needed because the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. Some of the sons of Israel, some of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, the temple servants, went up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. He, Ezra, came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which is in the seventh year of the king. For on the first of the first month, he began to go up from Babylon. And on the first of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. So it's a four month trip, if I'm counting right. And he comes to Jerusalem because the good hand of his God was upon him. There's that phrase again, right? Good hand of his God was upon him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to practice it, and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. And so as I'm reading the life of Ezra, um, what I want to find out and what I notice is, again, here's what I call the big idea. God wants to bless you. And he wants to bless me. More than we want to be blessed. That's always been true. And the question is, how and why does Ezra experience this constant repetition of this phrase that I'm going to show you in a minute? Um, So we want to be intentional. That's our motto, our theme this year, right? So what I want to encourage you this morning is to be intentional in seeking God's blessing. So like Ezra, what do we need to do? We need our lives can and should show evidence of God's blessing. And so I want you to see this in in the text as I've been reading. So Ezra's getting ready to go back. He's going to invest himself in ministry with people. And in verse seven that we just read or verse six, rather, that we just read, it says the hand of the Lord of God was upon him. The king granted him everything he needed. And if you read all of these chapters and read what follows that we don't have time to read this morning, the king gave him everything. Gave him manpower. 
gave him all of the temple tools, the vessels and everything that were still in Babylon. Gold and silver gave it all to them. In fact, he gave them gold and silver to buy whatever else they needed. Everything they needed because the good hand of the Lord was upon him. Um, It says he came to Jerusalem in verse 9. Why? The good hand of his God was upon him. If you jump to the end of the chapter uh, in verse, what is that? Verse 28, some there. He says, um, well, back up to verse 27. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers. He's put such a thing as this in the king's heart. To adorn the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, and has extended loving kindness to me before the king and his counselors, before all the king's mighty princes. Thus, I was strengthened according, here's the phrase again, the hand of the Lord my God upon me. You jump across the page in my Bible in chapter 8, about verse uh, 18, and Ezra's, he's looking around at all the people that are going to go back with him. All the people that have volunteered to return, and he says, um, we're a little short here. We, we need some priests. We need some Levites. Where are those guys? And so he's, he's, out, he's out trying to gather people to come and talking to people to come. And, and he says uh, in uh, verse 18, according to the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of insight of the sons of Mali, the sons of Levi, the sons of Israel named Sherebiah. And so... The constant supply of everything he needs. Why? God's hand of blessing is on his life. Um, I go down to the bottom of my page in about verse 22. And they're gathered at the edge of the river. They're getting ready to start their journey. And they stop for a time of prayer and fasting. You know, sometimes in the life of an individual, there's time for prayer and fasting. To just set aside some time for prayer and fasting as you move forward. I think sometimes it's true in the life of a church. Sometimes there's value to take in a time, prayer and fasting before you move forward. So that's what Ezra does. Verse 21, he says, I proclaim to fast there. We're at the river before our God. Why? To seek from him a safe journey for us. They're going to travel for four months across this span of desert. There's bandits. There's crooks and thieves. There's enemy armies. There's all kinds of potential opposition out there in that desert. And so they're fasting and praying that God would provide protection. And notice why, what motivated this prayer. This is fascinating to me. What motivated his prayer, he says in verse 22, notice this. I was ashamed to request from the king troops and horsemen to protect us from the enemy on the way. Why? Well, because we told the king, the good hand of our God is favorably disposed to all those who seek him, but his power and his anger against all those who forsake him. So what's he saying? How do we go to the king and say, hey, king, we need about, uh, I don't know, 400 soldiers, some heavy cannon and artillery. You know, it's a dangerous place out there. How do you do that when you just told the king, God's going to take care of us? And so they're fasting and praying. The good hand of God. Down again in chapter 8, we journeyed on, verse 31, from the river Ahava on the 12th of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was over us. And what's the next phrase say? He delivered us from the hand of the enemy and the ambushes by the way. You know what that verse tells me? It tells me they encountered enemies. 
They encountered ambushes. It wasn't a clean, clear, untroubled trip. What I read into that verse is they had some challenges, and guess what? God took care of them. Why? Good hand of God was upon them. And so I'm reading all this, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, why? Why does he have this, this confidence, and that's what I want to call it this morning, he has a confidence, and here's all those verses we just read, um, that constant repetition of the hand of the Lord that was on him. Why does that happen in his life? What is it that paves the way for him to experience God's hand of blessing? Because Ezra tells us pretty clearly what he's convinced of. The hand of our God is what? Favorably disposed to those who what? Seek him. Wouldn't you like to know the secret of having God's blessing in your life? I would. Um, wow. Because God wants to bless you more than you want to be blessed. God wants to bless this church, this congregation, more than you want His blessing. He wants to do that. And I wonder sometimes if I don't kind of get in the way of God doing that. And I look at the life of Ezra and I say, why, how, what is it that causes that to happen? And that's why my, my second uh, thought for you this morning is this. Um, we need to understand the cause behind this hand of blessing. And there's a key word in this passage that we've read that tells us the secret. A simple three-letter word. And it's easy to read right over it. I did for a long time before it finally struck me. Go back to that verse in chapter 7, in verse 10. It says that, um, back up to verse 9, On the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylon. And on the first of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. Why was it he came to Jerusalem and made that trip successfully, prosperously with all they needed? Why, 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 why? Well, it says, because the good hand of his God was upon him. Why was the good hand of God upon him? It's the next word. What's the next word say? For. You could just as easily translate that word because, for or because. The good hand of God was upon him. Why? Because, well, there's other thoughts in this chapter that strike me. Uh, the one is that earlier in the chapter, we get this pedigree where we're told all about his family back in chapter 1. Or, I'm sorry, not in chapter 1, up in verse 1, verse 2. All those names that I read. Um, what family did Ezra belong to? Who were his family history names? Most of those names you have no idea who they are, but one of them is pretty significant. Which name is it? Aaron. Who was Aaron? brother of Moses, and the first high priest or chief priest. So Ezra is in the line of descent 
from Aaron. Ultimately, he's in the tribe of Levi, right? So if he's in the tribe of Levi, he's a Levite. And if he's a descendant of Aaron, he's a priest. He's, so he has the significant family, the significant family history. How important was that to the Jewish people, by the way? Scale of 1 to 10, how important was that? Like a 37, you know? I mean, it's incredibly important. But God's hand of blessing didn't rest on Ezra because of who he was related to, who he was connected with, who his family was. That's way different from the world you and I live in, isn't it? Do you know anybody who's really significant because of the family they're a part of? Either because it's a family of wealth, a family of some position or status. That wasn't true for Ezra. It also wasn't true because of his status in society. It says not only did he have this great family heritage, but he also was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses. When you read the word scribe, is that a positive or a negative word in your mind? For most of us, it's a negative word. Why is that? Because we only read the New Testament. (laughs) The scribes in the New Testament were a pain in the Whatever body part you want to call it, they were a pain, weren't they? They caused trouble. They, they, were, they were associated with the Pharisees. They were the hypocrites. And they, that, that whole thing. Before the time of the New Testament, the scribes were the doctors of the law. They were the students of the scriptures. Their fame, their place in society was a place of honor. Because they were the ones who not only knew the scriptures, memorized the scriptures, taught the scriptures. They're the ones that copied the manuscripts and copied the scriptures. The scribes are good guys until they get messed up in the New Testament with those Pharisee dudes, right? And it says that he was skilled in the law of Moses. So it wasn't simply his family heritage, his status, or even his training. The typical, typical scribe spent anywhere from 17 to 20 years training to be a scribe. Many of them memorized the entire Old Testament. Can you imagine doing that? I can't. These, so Ezra has all this stuff going for him, but that's not what caused God's hand of blessing to be upon him. What was it? Well, the text says it was the set of his heart. The heart, the real you, your inner core, that which is you. Not just emotions, but but mind and intelligence and will. The heart. Ezra's heart was set. Your translation might say uh, his heart was prepared. Is that what NIV says? Prepared. One of the translations says uh, determined. Um, It was the set of his heart. And the Hebrew word is a fascinating uh, word that's translated here, the set of his heart. The picture in the Hebrew language is a picture language. It, It paints pictures. And this word, the set of his heart, is the word that was used of an archer. With an arrow on a bowstring aimed at a target. The set of Ezra's heart was like an arrow on a bowstring aimed at a target. What was the set of Ezra's heart? 
What was his heart aimed at? Well, he tells us there's three things that was named at. He says, first, the set of his heart was to study the scriptures. Now, here's, an, here's another, another fascinating Hebrew word. The word translated study <clears throat> means literally to tread frequently, to wear a path. Think about that for a minute. To study the scriptures is to be there how often? Frequently. To tread frequently. And to study the scriptures is to wear a path. When we lived in Modesto, one of our friends from our previous church in Sacramento had uh, miniature schnauzers. And uh, <clears throat> they sent their little miniature schnauzer out to meet a little boy miniature schnauzer. And the result of that, of course, was a bunch of little baby schnauzers. And I got to be there when they were all born. It was like I got to play midwife, you know. And uh, these little puppies came out, and they're just these cute little miniature schnauzers. And... Uh, this couple was able to sell all of these puppies, except one kept coming back. <laughs> People would buy the, buy the dog, and they'd keep it for a few days or a couple of weeks, and they'd bring it back, and they would say, you know, this dog just ain't right. There's something wrong with this dog. And uh, that happened two or three times. And uh, so I told them, well, you know, I'll take, I named him Henry, I'll take Henry, and so they let me buy Henry, and I took Henry home, and he and I were buddies. Uh, we would go across the street to the baseball Little League fields, and he would sit on my foot all the time. That's what Henry did. He sat on my foot all the time. But in my backyard at my house, I had a gate on this side of the yard and a gate on this side of the yard with the house in the middle. And Henry would bark at people who walked on the sidewalk, Right? So if you're walking down the sidewalk, he'd be over here, bark, 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 bark. And you'd walk by the house and he'd run around here and meet you at the other side of the house. Bark, 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 bark as you went away. And so Henry was all the time doing this in my backyard. And I noticed after several weeks, my grass was all dead in this little path about this wide from this side to this side. And I thought, what, what what's going on in my yard? Why is this? Well, the reason I was getting dirt instead of grass on this strip in my backyard is because Henry was frequently treading there, making a path. Ezra's heart was set on wearing a path in God's Word. I remember many years ago, back in the early 80s, when we were in Sacramento at the church there, I had finished uh, my message and closed the service in prayer. And you know I don't go to the back and do the glorification of the worm ceremony. We've had that conversation, right? So I always stay up front. And my idea was people that wanted to talk to me, not just were forced to talk to me because I was back there, they would come up and talk to me. So I always hung out at the front of the church. And I was up there at the front of the church and the pulpit was here next to me. And I, I was still using a pulpit back in those days. And uh, my Bible was laying on the pulpit and I was talking to somebody. And this guy, out of the corner of my eye, I saw him walk up and pick up my Bible. 
Now, I don't know about you, but there's certain things in my life that I don't like people messing with. You know, any craftsman here, you've got tools that you work with all the time. And if I showed up and said, hey, I want to borrow that uh, skill saw or whatever, you're shaking your head. You're saying, there's no way on the top side of God's green earth you're touching my, my skill saw, right? Well, I saw this guy come up and pick up my Bible and he's turning the page. And so I'm really distracted. I'm talking to this person. And this guy, I don't even know who he is. He's a first-time visitor. And so I'm, I'm just kind of keeping an eye on my Bible, you know. And... Uh, after I finished that conversation, I walked over to him and introduced myself, and we chit-chatted. And I said, I know, I know you picked up my Bible. Were you looking for a verse or something? He said, no. He said, I'm new in town. I'm looking for a church. And uh, the first thing I always want to do when I go to a church is look at the pastor's Bible. I said, really? That's interesting. Why do you want to do that? He said, I want to see if you use it. That's, by the way, that's not a bad strategy. Now, to tell you the truth, if someone came up and picked up my Bible today, they'd really be impressed. Because I dropped this off the top of my car about eight months ago, and it got run over on the road for two or three hours. And it's a mess. But um, I haven't fixed it because I want people to be impressed. No. Um, The set of Ezra's heart was to study the Scriptures. The second set of Ezra's heart was what? Practice it is what my translation says. Um, I think the Living Bible uses the word obey. I forget what NIV. Anyway, this Hebrew word is a really phenomenal word. It paints this amazing picture. It's the word to do. And you could just as easily translate it, do it. Or sadly today you would use the phrase, just do it. Frequent the scriptures, and then what? Do it. James says it this way, and you're all familiar with this verse. James says, be doers of the word and not listeners or hearers only. You deceive yourself if you do that. You're you're self-deceived. And so many times I've discovered, and I've been guilty of this in my life, so many times I've discovered we think because we read it and know what it says, we're good to go. And the Scriptures never stop there. What God's expectation is is that we would read it and then, you can say the two words, do it. The word that James uses here is a fascinating word, the word hearers is the word that would be used if you were to choose to go to the local junior college and audit a class. Anyone here ever audit a class? Got a couple back there. When you audit a class, what's expected of you? What's required of you? Nothing. How many term papers are you required to turn in? None. You can turn them in if you want. How many tests are you required to take? None. How many daily quizzes, weekly quizzes are expected of you? None. How often do you need to attend? Never. (laughs) That's what it means to audit a class. I'm just kind of hanging out here. I'm going to listen, maybe pick up a few things. You know, I'm not going to get credit for it. So I'm not going to take tests. That's the word that, that, that James uses here, to be a hearer of the word. What James is saying to you and to me is, don't audit This Christian life. Don't audit the scriptures. Study it, frequent it, and then say the two words with me. 
do it. And then the third thing he says is the set of his heart, what his, the arrow of his life was aimed at, was to teach the Scriptures, to point someone else to God's path. That's the set of Ezra's heart. Now, if you, if you study the Scriptures and teach the Scriptures without living the Scriptures, what is that? <laughs> do what I say, not what I do. If you try to teach the Scriptures without studying them, that's not very effective. We need to frequent the Scriptures, do what it says, and then pass it on to others. Now, that doesn't mean you have to stand up in church and preach a sermon. That doesn't mean you need to stand up in a class and teach 50 people to qualify. You could teach your children at home, right? You could teach your grandchildren. You could do a one-on-one -on -one kind of time with somebody to teach the Scriptures. But it's dangerous to teach without adequate study. I remember years ago, back in the 80s, I was becoming quite adept at what a language very few of you who are under the age of 40 probably would recognize. A language called DOS. You guys know DOS? How's that possible? Man. <laughs> and... I, be, I, I began to think of myself as being quite an expert with this computer language and being able to do commands. Not like today where you see icons, you hit a button, you know. I mean, this was, this was really cool. And I remember a guy having problems with his computer, and I said, I can help you. Accidentally erased his hard drive. I executed a... You guys are laughing at me back there. What is up with that? Um, have you done that too? Maybe that's why you're laughing so much. Um, but I executed a command that I didn't fully understand, had not adequately studied. And so Ezra becomes our model of what it means to experience God's hand of blessing. And so the question this morning for you and for me is this. Is the good hand of your God upon you? Have you positioned yourself to be a recipient of God's hand of blessing? And perhaps a part of that question would be this. What's your heart set on? What's the aim and direction of your life and your heart? What is it that is your focus? What is it that's priority? What is it that's important? You know, for many people, keeping up with the news, the latest events, and all that stuff becomes a, a huge part of their life. Other people, the social media stuff online becomes very important. Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff. And it consumes hours and time and focus and other people are consumed on sports, and it's easy for me to do that with my cycling. I love to just get on my bike and go, and that becomes a set of my life. People get focused on 
getting hard to get focused on USC football, isn't it? Gee. But people get all focused on sports and, and athletics and sporting events. And they, they, you know, they spend hours on television watching sporting events. And other people, the focus of, you know, Dr. Phil, Dr. Laura, Dr. You know, what is the set of your heart? What, where are you wearing a path? Where is it you are frequenting? If you want to experience God's blessing in your life, Ezra becomes our model. And Ezra says to you and to me, if you want to experience God's hand of blessing, where do you need to wear a path? In the scriptures. Is that where you're wearing a path? Are you setting yourself in position to be a recipient of God's hand of blessing? I read the story many years ago of a little city in Texas, Itasca, Texas. And they experienced in this little city a huge crisis when their schoolhouse burnt to the ground. 265 people lost their lives in this fire was an old wooden building, was never equipped with sprinkler system or anything like that. Burned to the ground and 265 people lost their lives. Terrible tragedy. People of the city banded together in this crisis. They came together. They raised money. And in the course of time, they were able to put together, build a brand new schoolhouse. And as you can guess, this brand new schoolhouse was fully equipped with the latest state-of-the-art Sprinkling system. They didn't want to ever experience this kind of tragedy again. They built this building, put in this sprinkler system, and it was time for the grand opening, the dedication, and the whole community was invited to come in for a tour of the building. And they, they trained the senior class, the seniors. This was going to be their last year of high school. And they trained them to be tour guides and to take groups of people through the schools and show them all the latest things that they had done. And they were all given very clear and very strong suggestions that they needed to emphasize in their tour the sprinkler system throughout the building. This was huge. And so that day came and went, and the city continued to grow and to thrive. The population increased, and they had more children than the school could hold. And so they decided to add on another building to their school. And so, same deal again. They raised money, built this building, put in the fire sprinkler system. Now it's time to link this new building with the old building. Electrical and all that other stuff. And they're hooking everything up, and they're hooking up water for the sprinkler system on the new building, connecting that to the, the other building. And guess what they discovered? They had never turned on the water to the first building. So they had state-of-the-art equipment, totally worthless. No water. It wasn't connected. And that's the image I see as I read the, the story of Ezra, that he was connected to God's blessing because of the set of his heart. To frequent the Scriptures, to do it, and to teach it. And so, my challenge to you this morning is, do you want God's hand of blessing? Compare yourself to Ezra. How are we doing? Are you like Ezra at all? A little bit? And maybe a second question is, so how can I become 
a little bit more like Ezra. I think there's value in spending time in the Scriptures every day. Some people have a goal of reading through the Bible every year, and I don't like to discourage that idea. I think it's a good idea. But for me personally, what I try to encourage people to do is to read repetitively. Because I find when I read through the Bible in a year, I'm kind of doing the flyover. You know what I mean? I'm I'm a good speed reader. (laughs) But if I sit down and I read through the book of Ephesians every day for a month, I, I, I kind of pick up a little bit more of what's going on than I do when I'm doing that, that flyby. And so I encourage people to do repetitive reading. Read a chapter multiple times or sit and read through some of the smaller books in one sitting. Um, anybody have a Bible app on their phone? A couple of you. Um, I don't know what apps you're using. I have one I like a lot, the U version. Anyone use the U version? It's very popular. Um, I have another, another one called the Pocket Bible. It's a little simpler. I can get where I want to be real quick. And so there's times when I'm out somewhere doing something, and I've got a few minutes. I don't have my Bible with me, but I've always got my phone, and I can open it up and just kind of read a portion of Scripture, reflect on it a little bit. Um, that works too. There's value in getting together with others to read, one-on-one with another person or in a small group. But spending time frequenting the Scriptures. With always the intention of not just reading it, but doing it. And one of the things that I've discovered in my life is that the things I learn the best are the things I've passed on to somebody else. I've studied something, I've tried to live it in my life, and now I'm teaching somebody else. And those are the things that uh, uh, stick with me the most. And so there's value for you as well as for the person that uh, you're teaching. The good hand of God was upon Ezra, for he set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to practice it, And to teach it. That's the model for having God's hand of blessing in your life. Lord, thank you for Ezra. I thank you for his life. I thank you for the challenge that he is to me. And uh, it's easy to compare myself to Ezra and realize how far short I come of uh, being like him. But he's a model that, that I aspire to. And I pray this morning that you would challenge our hearts with the life of Ezra. That we might be men and women who are seeking intentionally in our lives to experience your blessing because of the set of our heart. Do that for each one of us is our prayer together in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's sing this little song. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When I feel afraid, 
think I've lost my way, still you're there right beside me. Nothing will I fear as long as you are near. Please be near me to the end. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will not forget your love for me and yet my heart forever is wandering. Jesus, be my God, hold me to your side. I will love you to the end. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word is a lamp unto my Have a great week. Get frequent in the scriptures this week.